Hello, welcome back to the CIO Show. I'm David Binning, Associate Editor CIO. It's now become almost a cliche to state cloud computing isn't always the cheapest option compared with on-premise or other hybrid configurations. In this episode, we'll be talking about how CIOs can avoid cloud bill shock, maximize the value of their cloud service agreements by ensuring they're using the right services for the right tasks, as well as turning them off when they're not using them. We'll also discuss how CIOs need to develop new and robust governance frameworks for monitoring and managing their cloud spend, as well as taking steps to better train and equip their teams to be more cloud ready and cloud savvy. Okay, joining me now are Ian Robinson, who is the CIO with Water New South Wales, one of the largest water utilities in in the world, certainly in the Southern Hemisphere, as I understand, Ian. Welcome back to the CIO Show. G'day, Dave. Great to be back. Thanks, man. And also come back to the CIO Show as well as Chris Ganley who's Gartner's VP of CIO Research. Chris, welcome. Thanks for having me. Now, Ian, it's, it's been an interesting ride for, for you over the past 18 months, you know, managing what is an enormous digital ecosystem for water New South Wales. Talk me through some of the, the challenges and, that you've been facing in terms of spinning up cloud services and, and managing them, not just the operations of the course, but to the, to the topic of this, this podcast, keeping the costs under control. Yeah, that's a pretty broad question, David. I think that there's tiers to this that I might just step through to break it up a little bit. Um, yeah. at the top tier is sort of the the software as a service, which we're heavily engaged in through our core enterprise platforms, being you know sort of the Microsoft environment, the the software as a service we buy for our ERP, yes. our customer relationship management are all cloud-based software as a service applications. And that represents a fairly stable set of applications that we buy on a subscription basis, which are but which are pretty much manageable in in being linked to individual users and the the kind of um, business processes they support. The second tier where it gets much more complicated is the platform as a service, where we primarily rely on our Azure investment in um, our analytics data and analytics framework. And we leverage that because of the platform capabilities it provides us that in our judgment mean we don't have to build all of the underlying infrastructure and software capabilities for that platform. We can leverage what Microsoft has already built. And for me, that's the most challenging area. And then the third tier is infrastructure as a service where we pretty much backed away from using in public cloud services with a preference to primarily leverage on-premises data center. And we've just made an investment in rebuilding our data center and moving stuff actually back off the cloud mm. to manage the cloud costs. And I can talk a little bit about that in more detail. But, you know, really our focus at the moment in terms of cloud cost optimization is in that platform as a service area where we can build out scalable, very quick to implement in-house developed applications on Kubernetes, leveraging data platform capabilities visualized through various techniques like Power BI or, or other visualization portal type technologies. And, and, and the ever burgeoning growth of our data requirements coming from real-time field assets is, is putting the pressure on our costs in that space. Well, there's an enormous amount of data that you're, you're managing there. So, I mean, Chris, you and I, you, you published a report recently outlining one of the key drivers, not just for, for, for cloud adoption generally, but particularly through the pandemic phase 
in that the, the, the primary driver has been agility and, and DevOps. And th those statements by Ian there resonating with what you're you're seeing in the market? Uh, look, certainly. I think, I think Ian lays out, you know, the public cloud quite well. I think, you know, one of the things I see with a number of organisations is not understanding the different flavours of cloud and the yeah. various, various different aspects, right? So what, what Ian lays out there makes complete sense across the thing. And, and yes, and it's being used for different reasons in the different flavours or the different styles of cloud. But, you know, our, our, our recent data, I guess, confirmed something that, that we suspected, that a lot of the cloud, a lot of the shift to the cloud is around agility and flexibility, particularly in the DevOps space. And, you know, knee, eliminating or reducing that need to have your own hardware, have your own software and doing it. And that it's, it's not about lowering your, your total costs. It's, it's about the other things that it brings and it provides to you. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, Chris, you and I were having a laugh the other day about the fact that this the, the term TCO, even while the concept, of course, never went away, yeah. um, it, is, it is coming back into this discourse, which is, Kind of ironic because we're talking about total cost of ownership of the thing that you don't actually own. Well, that's that's right. You don't own all of it. There are elements of it that you own, depending mm -hmm. on what the style or what the variant is, right? And that's that's where this gets complex and that's where this gets difficult. But I mean, if you go at the if the purest type of cloud, which is SaaS, pretty much the only thing you own is your data, right? Yeah. Um, outside of that, there can be additional bits. But you're absolutely right. The, the TTO, and you know, when we talked about that, David, I, I brought that up because what you see is a lot of organisations focus on that upfront, maybe first year expense of cloud, not thinking about it over the longer term, not thinking about it, maintaining it, running it, the additional data, the additional costs, et cetera, or not thinking about your SaaS expenditure in the longer term as well and what's going to happen there. And Ian, I mean, you're somebody who is, you know, one of our, one of our most experienced in, and also in terms of the COO 50 decorated COOs, in Australia, even you can see that there's there's a lot of blind spots that you've you've been discovering over you know over, over recent times with regard to cloud and cloud spend. Well, I think one of the dangers is CIOs who think they understand cloud because it is multi-layered and and requires. I think one of the sticker you know brochureware items about cloud is you don't really need an IT team anymore. You know, it, it's all outsourced to the to the cloud. But the reality is. Cloud pricing is extremely complex and requires a deep understanding of the makeup of an application, just like we used to have to worry about it in an on-prem environment. Uh, you know, the, the components are still priced individually. Pipelines are priced, data storage is priced, the, the network load in and out is priced. Um, and all of that, if you don't manage the balls in the air, cloud bill shock really does hit you. And, and what I've found is you need to build a team that can shift from being pure technical focus on managing capacity and that sort of stuff in, in constrained infrastructure environments to now working in an unconstrained world where the impact of not getting that right is, is massive bill blowout. And we've experienced that at various stages. And what, what I've learned is cloud management is not a one-time thing to Chris's point. It's not the upfront thing that you need to get right. It's the mar marathon that goes beyond that and the ongoing cost management processes you need to put into place. Yeah. And that requires the old, old adages about understanding your end-to-end -end processes, your end-to-end -end applications and how they apply and how best to optimise those things. And there's a difference between experimenting with the cloud and then running a stable 
IT environment post the development cycle. DevOps very much about, you know, learning, being agile, developing in a very flexible and fluid environment. Operations very much about optimization, constraint and stability. With regard to DevOps, so you, you and I were speaking recently about you know, your, your, your admission that, and I'm sure many CIOs would, even if they don't admit it, they probably have this experience whereby they've spun up compute for DevOps processes and then with everything else going on, forgot to turn them off. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is the issue that um, when you unleash autonomy within the DevOps teams, your expectation is that they will develop quickly They'll produce product at the speed of business and really are very focused on output. The reality, though, is there's an obligation on those teams to also think about how they do their work and the ways of working activities, not just include the backlogs and user stories and development activities, but also include the way in which they manage their environments, their CICD pipeline and their branching of development environments. And one of the things we found was Teams were very much focused on that output side, but just kept splurging on more and more stuff and yeah. built dev environments on top of dev environments and, and didn't turn them off because they weren't focusing on the governance of those things. They were focusing on the output of the code. Mm. And I think what we've found is unless you keep an eye on that development environment splurge, costs can really spiral. So we've had to put a lot of effort into thinking about that kind of question. Why do you need this up on the weekend? But when you're not doing a project on this stuff, why have you got yeah. those development environments still running? Yeah. What are the rules around the guardrails around making sure we're running a, um, a, a continuous development process that enables you to operate only on those things that you're actually operating on? Yeah. Uh, they're, they're key disciplines we've needed to build. Yeah, I was just going to say, I think Ian's not alone on that. Right, That's a pretty common story for organisations, right? Because there's this, there's this pent-up demand that sits in a lot of organisations and the cloud has allowed organisations to do things in a far more agile and flexible way, right? But it also means that without some control, without the right sorts of governance around how and why and who and when, it, it can get out of control. And that's, and that's a pretty common story, you know, and the, the things that need to be put in place to make sure that you do manage that spend, that you do control it, so, you know, do we need this on? Have we have we shut things down? Are we actually managing our bill? Do we know what the line items on our bill are for? Is someone responsible for those? So, you know, it's, it's allowed us to get into that flexible world, but unless your financial management practices and your, um, I guess, governance around cloud changes with it, you can get caught out. And, you know, it's a, it's a common story to hear of organisations overspending, over-consuming, over-using without those things in place. Look, so it sounds as though cloud cost management has now suddenly become a, a core competency for, for tech teams. And Ian, to, to Chris's point about the need for governance, and also you raised it, what, are you, what, what specifically are you doing in order to tighten up that or, or at least establish an initial governance framework for managing that costs in, in your organisation? I don't think we've got this fully solved yet, but th there are a number of things that I think are commonly used in the industry. One is reservations. And in, in the Microsoft instance, reservations can save you about three quarters of the cost if you just leave it on a pay-as-you-go process. And so once you get to that stable environment, in, ensuring you've got an understanding of the capacity and the performance requirements, putting it in a reservation is a great technique. And we found that that's certainly addressed a portion of our scope. It, on the development side, 
I think I think there's this issue of you still need a technical team that to, can decode the pricing structures coming out of the vendors mm. and turn that into a business application view. So it, it it's again that kind of almost chargeback view that we've had in IT for a long time. All the components that make up a business service need to be considered continually by the um, IT team yeah. to line that up together in a kind of configuration management sense to say the business service actually involves all of these components. Yeah. And the bits that are in the development cycle are these, and they're running in a, in a less structured way. But the bits that are working in the production sense, we can itemise those and say all of those things are required and are optimised for running the business service. And the total business service cost is this. And that'll be a proportion of a lot of different technical elements. And so bringing those together, what I found is we need to get to the product level so you can have the conversation with the business about what the product actually costs and then describe what the opportunities are to rationalise those costs. And it's the ongoing conversation between business and IT about making sure we're working together on being accountable for our cost profile and that the value we're producing is the right value for that output. And that's why I say governance is so critical because it's not a, a technical thing alone, but those people need to feed that, that business conversation. And Chris, do you think that that would be music to the ears of many of the, the CFOs that, that you kind of speak with? Because, of course, in your, in your role at Gartner, it's, 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 it's very much, you know, there's, there's a very strong financial focus. So you speak to CIOs and CFOs and just wondering what your thoughts are about, about Ian's comments there and, and, and how many of the CFOs that you interact with would respond to that somewhat positively, I suspect. Yeah, I think, I think Ian's spot on the money. You know, what, going back a little bit to something you have talking about before, this is a very complex landscape, right? The way that the offerings are set up, the way that they're created in, in layers, the different pricing variants, pricing styles, the way it works is very complex. And if, and if Ian, as a, an experienced CIO, doesn't completely have that under control, how is a CFO going to do, right? Because it's very complicated. So yeah. to me... The, the thing around cloud spend, and you said this earlier, David, I think cloud spend management is going to become one of the next big things, is that organisations are need, going to need to get their head around this because 14% of the average IT budget these days is spent on the public cloud. That was, that was you know, 5% a couple of years ago or three years ago. So it's, it's growing quite steadily. We don't think that's going to slow down. That's going to continue. So the cloud spend element of it is going to be important. Now, a lot of organisations are looking to the tooling they can use around that, you know, whether it be the, the native functionality on a platform or whether it be cloud management or cloud expense management or whatever it is. But I think, I think Ian's absolutely spot on. To me, yes, there's the tools, but there's also the governance and the process. Like, what, what's our rules around this? What are our internal controls? How do we procure it? What's our process around this? What's the guardrails in place? So, you know, lurching to the tools, which can be the reaction for a lot, Yes, tooling might be part of it, particularly as we're into more and more of a multi-cloud environment where, you know, very few organisations have a single cloud provider. Because if you think about it, you know, you've got the, the SaaS side of the world where you've got all, all sorts of options. Then you've got the infrastructure and the platform side with different providers as well. So it's quite complicated across that. And yes, a, a key part of it becomes the government's governance. A key part of it becomes becomes the procurement and, and the management of it. And then, yes, for, for the financial side of things, which is which is where I focus, it's absolutely around the using less and paying less. You know, have we got this thing under control? Do we know what we're using? Do we know what we're paying? Is that the best way? 
We enable any organization to use any technology. We help all companies become technology companies, protecting the identity of both workforces and customers. Connecting the right people to the right technology at the right time. Okta, one trusted platform to secure every identity in your organization. Procurement's an interesting topic in this conversation, isn't it? Because really for most of the history of cloud computing, it's been anyone with a credit card, right? I'm sure that's been your experience too, Ian, perhaps occasionally to your chagrin. Well, absolutely. It's the home of shadow IT, right? And, yes. um, <laughs> and, and it's everyone in the business who just goes and buys the app that solves their immediate problem. Mm. And, and it's not until, you know, they realise they want a bit of integration in data or want, you know, a single sign-on or a, a, an end-to-end -end business process that works that IT can sometimes be thought of. But I, I also think, you know, IT's often struggled with the problem of the waterfall mentality where you put out a big scope or requirements document to the market, mm -hmm. they come back and tick every box and say, we can do all this for lots of money. And then you find you actually don't need most of those things. And the discussion was a bit of belts and braces. And, and in fact, the incremental model dramatically reduces risk. And that's true both in a delivery yeah. sense, but also in the procurement risk. Yeah. I think of not knowing what you're really buying, being that, that buyer that, you know, spends a lot of time making sure we're making this big decision really well, but there's so much uncertainty around that decision that um, you're, you're always going to get it wrong. And, and, you know, Chris, I'm sure, can quote the Gartner figures on, on failed IT projects over years, and that all comes down to that pressure to get the procurement right up front. And I think what cloud has given us is the ability to experiment, to build MVPs, and then to buy as we need it, and no more than that. Um, there's still a question about is Amazon better than Azure and all that sort of stuff, and, and there is this competitive landscape that we still have to operate in. But I think that becomes less of an issue because those are largely levelled out by the market we're in. Um, the, the application of the technology becomes the interesting thing, and that's where the procurement folks are, I think, getting on board with this new um, operating model of buying as we go. But yeah. I, I'd be keen to hear Chris's views on that because I think, you know, we're, we're a government purchaser and yeah. we have government, you know, procurement guidelines we need to work within. And so it, it, we, we always feel that tension. Uh, look, I think, it's a, I think it's a, you know, pretty much a universal challenge and a universal tension is, you know, are we buying the right things? Have we thought about it? And then are we over-consuming, right? Because you see that. You see elements of over-consuming, over-using, buying things that potentially you don't need. So a lot of that is around making the decision that you're using it and then buying it in the right way and then consuming it in the right way as your organisation that fits you, right? You know, is it is it for the right workloads? Is it for the right things for your organisation rather than blindly just accepting it down the path? You know, and I think I talk to organisations quite regularly that are, you know, paying a lot more attention to making sure that that when they buy it, they're buying the right things and then they're managing it over, mm -hmm. over the life cycle of those things and, and getting more actively involved. And, you know, yeah, you're absolutely right. The, the credit card, the, the, the ability for the organisation to do things rapidly, yeah, it's great, but you're absolutely right. There are organisations who are seeing the rise of shadow IT or, you know, IT outside of IT and, and having troubles in reining that in or controlling it, you know, and typically 
it becomes a problem, yeah, when I hear, when I talk to CIOs, when, when someone turns up at the CIO's door with a problem, they want some data, they want to sign on, or they've got a security problem. Well, that's a pretty common type story. And Chris, are you, are you finding that CIOs and CFOs are having more intelligent, more productive conversations about this now? Yeah, look, I think, the, I think the more advanced and a little bit more progressive CIOs are putting this on the CFO's agenda to get some understanding of what's going on and why it's changing, right? Because we're moving into what we, we talk about as the new normal, which is more around moving from on-premise to cloud, moving from a CapEx world to more of OpEx, moving to, you know, from waterfall to agile, moving from, for a lot of organisations, from projects to products. Like all of these things align and come along. And what I see is probably the more progressive, the more advanced CIOs bringing their finance into that conversation so that there's an understanding of what's happening and why it's happening and how it fits into the organisation's overall financial strategy and, you know, limiting, limiting pushback, limiting uh, restrictions on digital ambitions for the organisation. Yeah, I might, might just make a comment on that, David. Um, one of the things that uh, we've found is a really interesting dynamic between myself as a CIO and the CFO mm. is um, the accounting rule change that means even the work that used to be capital in developing on a cloud-based infrastructure is now OPEC. And so the, the, the conversation now moves to what's the right teaming, what's the, almost the right headcount to operate a cloud-based environment? And that operation is not just anymore the BAU kicked the lights on it's now the ongoing enhancements and discussion around product delivery because the accounting rules have driven us to the conversation with the CFO around what's the right amount of expenditure on IT at the holistic level Mm -hmm. because Totex is now the new conversation and the old world of project driven capex is now being absorbed into the more incremental opex world of continuous delivery continuous enhancement continuous yeah. operation. And I think yeah. this has been a really interesting shift in the CIO-CFO conversation. Well, I mean, certainly they, they probably don't like the fact that it's less predictable, though, do they, Ian? No, we, but, but at the same time, it allows the conversation around value. So yeah. if, if costs are spiralling, then the CFO rightly should say, well, what am I getting for that? And, yeah. and the business should be accountable for that shift in their output. Um, yeah. it, and if, it, if it's not visible then we should be putting pressure from the CFO and CIO downwards to reduce that cost. You know, if that, that product's not valuable, don't spend on it. So I think that conversation is really helpful. Then also, also for CFOs, and this is something else you and I was speaking about recently, and some of, them, some of them must be fairly perplexed to increasingly now see billing items for actual servers because, as you've explained, you know, as, as you've sort of reassessed your infrastructure as a service usage, you are, you know, now investing in, in more on-premise capability, right? Yeah. You know, I, I think that that comes down to the usual business case options analysis. And we went to market quite openly expecting to get a cloud-only offering to be the most cost-effective. In fact, it was going to be 50% more for us to extend the cloud um, to cover our on-prem old ageing equipment and then buying a hyper-converged infrastructure. And I think that represents the commoditization, if you like, of that hardware stack, the fact yes. that data center facilities are now commoditized. And really, you know, we don't need to pay the profit margin of some of these behemoths to meet the market and be able to provide a fairly capable um, off-the-shelf standardized IT infrastructure. 
I recognise not everybody's in that same space. So this is a, you know, an argument that will rage, but we found that and, and we put the case forward, the CFO agreed with that and we capitalised therefore our on-prem infrastructure. But that by far, that's the minority now of our expenditure because most of our expenditure is in SaaS and data. Yeah. Um, our, our legacy apps and our, you know, some of our core things that people freak out about control over like SCADA yeah. will remain on-prem for the foreseeable future, but lots of our investment in development is on you know, on cloud. What are your thoughts on that, Chris? Uh, look, you know, it, it's a little bit of horses for courses here, right? So obviously the uptake in, in moving to cloud is, is greater, right? And it continues to accelerate. You know, the, the forecast is that the compound annual growth of, of cloud and the, and the shift to the cloud or cloud shift as we call it, will be, you know, something like six to seven times what it is on, on on-premise. But there, there still will be elements of on-premise, but it's just that the, the cloud, you know, and the cloud acceleration continues across the board for organisations. So being being smart around what that looks like and what's included in that is important. But there's, there's always going to be, for a number of organisations, that think about this carefully and map it out. And, and to Ian's point before... This is about value, right? This is about the outcomes and the outputs that you're delivering. If if your adoption of technology and the way you deliver it delivers greater value, however you define that in your organisation, then then it makes sense to continue investing in that. If it's not delivering the value, then you've got to question why and is there a better or smarter way that we can do this? So, you know, for most organisations, there, there is this uh, infrastructure that they have some of it's on-premise, some of it's off-premise, some of it's there, some of it's not, right? And that and that model will continue and continues, but, you know, the, the shift to the cloud becomes an important part of that for the right things and for the right workloads. And that's where the smarter organisations are managing through this. And Ian, you, you, you've said previously that, you know, that you feel that the major cloud service providers, it's going back to your point about this commoditization of compute, uh, are becoming increasingly alert to, to this and... Uh, offering more value add in terms of data analysis and other sorts of capabilities. Can you expand on that a little bit? Yeah, I think if you think about it, servers themselves aren't that interesting. Um, They're they're an essential service. But what I think cloud providers increasingly focus their innovation cycles on in their product development is what can they build on their platform that makes it easier for enterprise IT shops to leverage that cloud even more? And um, they want us to become the crack addict, to, to be, you know, addicted to the service that they provide. And the best way to do that is build out more and more capability that allows us to um, accelerate our development um, and limit the need to skill up our own technical resources. So it's, if you like, the new managed services model where the cloud operator, I think, proposes to enable um, in generic product services um, more and more capabilities from an enterprise IT shop. It's interesting you mentioned it's it's probably the first time that crack crack addicts have been mentioned on on the CIO show. Yeah, sorry, you should edit that out. No, no, no. Hey, yeah, we're journalists. We love that. Um, <laughs> but there's there's certainly something in that, right, Chris? <laughs> oh, look, there's certainly a you know there's a tendency, as I talked about earlier, for organisations to overconsume. Right? It's it's easy to consume. It's easy to buy it. It's easy to use it. Um, and that's, that's the whole nature of cloud, right? And for a lot of organisations, the, the ability to move things to cloud, move, use, public, use the public cloud, particularly through the pandemic, has been fantastic for a lot of organisations. And that's great, right? But you've, you've got to, you know, I guess 
the purpose of this podcast, you've got to think about the cost side of that as well, right? Is that is the value we're getting out of doing this worth the cost that we're paying for it, right? And how do we keep that under control in the longer run and not let it run away wildly, right? And to me, as, as I said earlier, to me, that's going to be the challenge for many organisations is to update and up, upgrade those internal processes and the way that we think about things because you know we we used to we used to buy a server or we used to buy an application and we used to capitalize it and stick it on the balance sheet and then we'd sweat it right but now we've got a service and we're paying for it and we're going to continue to pay for it over a period of time right and so it's a different way of operating and it's a different way of a different way of thinking you know and it just it requires some changes to the mindset and our processes and our practice yeah and it's also it's also further complicated by people hosting increasingly hybrid cloud environments too, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, like, like I said before, right, it's a, it is a complex landscape and, and you know, it, it, there are different styles and variants and very few have, have a single provider. So, you know, they, they're looking for ways of managing across multiple environments, multiple applications, multiple things, right? You know, one, one of the things I see is a lot of organisations beginning to pay more attention to to the infrastructure, the platform, and the service. Yeah. The, 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 SaaS, the SaaS side of things, though, is probably you know it is the ultimate version of, of cloud, right? The only thing you've got is your data in that, and that requires attention as well, right? Do you know how many licenses you got? Are you paying? For, are you using them all, right? You know, organisations, in my experience, when I talk to to our clients, are fantastic at adding new users. Not so good at assessing. <laughs> whether they've got too many, whether you're using them all, are they utilised, et cetera, right? So it applies across all of the different layers of cloud. Yeah, let me, let me just add to that. SaaS, I think, is such an interesting area. You, you think about the old sawtooth model of invest heavily up front to get something yep. in, then sweat it, as Chris said, and then there's an upgrade cycle. And that used to be really expensive if you're talking about SAP or any of the ERP, CRM-type solutions. I can tell you now with D365, we've been running it for three years and the upgrade cycle is just continuous. I don't pay for it. It's just there. There's, there's a release process and we do need to test the customizations, but we've automated the regression testing. And I think likewise with PEGA, we could have bought it on an on-prem option and done that ongoing continual capital um, upgrade. But SaaS just takes away that problem. And as long as you build the customization right, upgrade is seamless. And, and I think that's such a huge benefit. Organisations now have an evergreen environment that means tech debt should disappear or, or become far more minimal. Um, and enterprise architecture is far more um, simplified. So I think that the benefits of SaaS are huge. Is that what you're saying too, Chris? Oh, look, absolutely. You know, it- it, it, it reduces the need, as Ian said, to be in that world where you've got to have your own people testing things and doing things, right? You know, even in my, my pre-Gartner experience of being a client in the early days of SaaS, it was fantastic because you knew what the upgrade cycle, or I'm going to say upgrade in air quote, cycle was. You knew there were certain things, as Ian said, you needed to test, but all the work was done for you and it just kept rolling along, right? And so to me, I, I think it's a great model. To me, the only bit of it is just keeping an eye on, on you know, the licensing, the number of users, the data, the storage, those types of things that go with it. But the, as removing the need to be a software developer and a, and a software, you know, upgrade shop and stuff, I think it's a fantastic benefit for organisations. And are, are, there, are there specific tools that perhaps 
um, back to you, Ian, specific tools for monitoring and managing costs that, that maybe many CIOs aren't aware of? Well, I think um, we're still exploring some of those, but I think each of the cloud providers includes a dashboard and provisioning capability and um, billing data. And so it's a bit like any monitoring system, though. I think in my experience, you need the, the specialised tool, whether it's a SolarWinds for network or SCOM for Microsoft server environments. You need, you've got the Azure equivalent in the Microsoft world or the AWS world, their equivalent. And then, and then we're finding you need a layer above that that is the manager of managers. Um, mm. And so, you know, things like there's an Australian company that's producing a product called Cloud Monitor that, that focuses itself entirely on cost management of the of the cloud and allows you to connect the services layer, which which I said before brings all the components together and takes the confusion out of what does a product actually cost um, by, by looking at all of the subcomponents that build that up and that's how Azure will sell you the service. So I would put it to you that yes, you do need a capability over and above the cloud native tools um, and that that governance process requires you to ask the right questions to ensure you configure that manager of managers in a way that's useful for the use cases you want to present to the business, the CFO, or, or internally to budget the IT cycle. I think those are emerging tools that require a little bit more sophistication in the thinking by the IT leads. Chris, Chris, I, I noted also in your recent one of your recent Gartner reports that a number of, of CIOs had um, indicated that it's their embracing of of more tools, systems tools for and greater awareness of these tools that have led to them being able to get their cloud spend down. Actual specific system tools. Yeah, what we what we what we asked about was, you know, in in this new environment, in this new normal or this new operating environment we're seeing, what were they using? What played a greater role in that, right? And to to Ian's point, you know, from a Gartner perspective, we see a number of different tools that are out there. So you've got your you've got your cloud native tools, your native functionality that that most of them have or or they they, they build in. But you know, on top of that, what we're starting to see is organisations looking more at you know, um, cloud management platforms. So, so managing the actual cloud platforms from a from a provisioning and etc. standpoint. Then there's the expense management tools that, that sit out there as well that that manage the, the cloud environments can, can manage across multiple cloud environments. And then there's even the the IT financial management tools that, that sit out there as well. So there's a range of tools that organisations are beginning to look to and beginning to use as they upgrade as they strengthen. Their, their approaches to managing their cloud spend. And these things, as you know, as we've said, are an important part of it, but they're not the complete answer, right? That you, you still need the guardrails, the governance, the strategy, and, and the, the controls around how you use it and what you use as well. But the tools are, are beginning to play a bigger role. Well, it sounds like some, some very interesting and important timely advice for CIOs in Australia. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining us on the CIO Show and look forward to having you back on again very soon. Thanks, though. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed it. The manufacturing has typically been well behind the pack when it comes to digital transformation. You could say to some degree, its inability to innovate and cut costs has seen much of Australia's and many other advanced countries ship more and more manufacturing offshore to Asia and other regions with cheaper labour. 
Yeah, there are definite new digital green shoots here in Australia with movers afoot within the manufacturing sector to more fully embrace technologies like AI, 3D printing, the industrial internet of things, the IIoT, and of course robotics to ensure we're able to continually make stuff that people want and at a sustainable price point. Now, next episode, we'll talk to CIOs working hands-on to help Australian manufacturing businesses move forward on their steep path to digital transformation, as well as expert analysts expanding on how the latest generation of digital tools is being applied to make better products smarter, faster, and for less cost. We hope you can join us.